The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus spoke to the crowd, saying, To what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your generous will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Lord be with you. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, in the journeys of this life, there are times that the distances seem so far and we get tired. We ask that you would continually remind us that you walk by our side, carrying our burdens and bringing us to new life. Amen. So I wanted to mention, just again quickly, we are using a different set of readings than we would normally use. There are the complementary readings that are typically done, but this year we've decided to switch gears, which starts at right after the season of Easter, last Sunday actually, with the semi-continuous readings. And so my guess is that the Genesis reading sounded very familiar to you, but you probably also can't remember the last time you actually heard that read in worship. And uh, that's why we're doing this. There are a number of things with these stories that I think speak very powerfully, and it actually caused me to think a little bit about our weekly schedule here at Grace. Normally, we have a lot of programs that stop during the summer, and the last couple of weeks, we have not been having our regular Thursday morning Bible study um, as it's summer. Um, these readings are far too fascinating to not be having Bible studies. So uh, we're going to start again on this Thursday, and we will meet in my office at 10.30 for anyone who is interested, and we will get into these readings a little deeper. But one of the things that struck me powerfully about the Genesis text Perhaps I'm reflecting on this a little bit given uh, last night I was at Stanford Stadium watching the San Jose Earthquakes play and the big patriotic uh, fireworks show that followed. There was something that struck us this last week about bringing July 4th and this Genesis text together in that there is a story about someone who leaves their family 
to go to a new country and make a place for themselves. For many of us in the United States, that's maybe not our immediate personal story, although maybe it is, but it's certainly the story of our families in most cases. I was listening to a story on NPR probably a year or two ago. They had had an interesting uh, episode in this news story where they were talking to a musician who specializes in Chinese folk music. And this was the week after, and people had called in to leave their comments. And there was a young man in his early 30s who had called in who had been in the United States for several generations but was Chinese in descent, who said that he had heard the story on the car and had to pull over to the side of the road because he was so overcome by the music of his people, even though he had never been. Some of those things that are in our bones about who we are, whether we're conscious about it or not, are these stories. The story is long. I would encourage you when you go home to remember Genesis 24. It is worth taking your Bible out and reading the whole passage in one hit because there's a lot to this story. Abraham is very concerned about who his son is going to marry. Now, I can't imagine that there's any of us who wouldn't feel similar concerns or worries in our lives as to where these things might go. And so Abraham does what I'm sure any father would do. He packs off his servant and ten camels on a quest to find the right woman. Now, there's a lot of conversation in here about the old country. Abraham is sending his servant back. There's a part of the conversation that's very interesting that we don't get that comes from the early part of the reading. So the servant of Abraham, loyal servant, goes up to him. Abraham is explaining to him what he wants him to do to go back to my people in the old country. Find from them the right woman for my son to marry. That's kind of a broad mandate there. And the servant has a lot of questions. One of them is, what if I find her and she won't come? (laughs) Seems like a lot of logical question. Abraham doesn't seem very concerned about it, but he is emphatic with the servant that his son is not to go back. It's interesting. I know in my family tree, we go back about six or seven generations and we're lost in the fogs of Pennsylvania. There is no memory of having come over the water from the old country at all. And one of the things that strikes me, though, is that when they did come over, that was not an easy journey. We know from history that people who were well-off had things in place, life was moving in their direction, were not typically the ones who left. The ones who left said, that journey sounds scary, but it has got to be better over there. 
But think of all of those people that would have gathered on docks, who would have walked out of town with a bag over their shoulder, who would have left family not with, I'll write, we'll see you soon. But that's it. Goodbye. And they walked off. Scary to be on these kinds of journeys. But we've all experienced it. Even if the old country for us is somewhere in and around the Mississippi River and the Northern Plains states, we have all had experiences of visiting distant family and saying goodbye, even with the conveniences of modern travel, not knowing if we will see them again because of health or age or whatever the case might be. But it's interesting in this story when the servant asks, what if she doesn't come? Should I take your son? Abraham says, no. It's interesting. There is this sense of no going back, even as Abraham is sending the servant. There is this sense of a new country, a new place to be. I think as Christians, we have that sense of that place. Once we have been baptized, there is no going back. We've been issued a new passport, in a sense. Our citizenship is in a new country. And there's no returning. We might wander far and wide and lose our way, but nonetheless, we are still in that new place. As the story continues, the servant is on this track, and it's the parts that we miss. There's ten camels. I mean, this must have been quite the procession, loaded down with stuff to impress the folks in the old country as to how well Abraham had done. Influential man that he was. And the servant shows up in town, and the image that I picture is of little kids seeing the camels coming in, racing back into town. My gut feeling is, is that people probably could see this guy coming from a mile away and knew what he was after. And knew what he was after. There are cultural pieces here that we miss in the translation of thousands of years and cultures. But they would have known. They would have known. Now, we get to the part of hospitality in this. That part of the world is known for its hospitality. And so this guy shows up and figures, I'm going to wait for somebody to offer me water. Oh, and my camels. That sound tedious? <laughs> that sounds like a huge job. All of this water for 10 animals who have been on this journey. And one of the young women does it. There are bracelets, this curious image of this nose ring, almost a sense of staking a claim in a fashion. But I think the interesting part of the story is what happens after that. He goes to meet the family. They talk about what's going on. And in the parts of the verses that we don't get, you'll notice in the bulletin, it's kind of this choppy reading as I read it this morning. The family is saying, this all sounds good, but does she have to go now? Can we have just a few more days 
to say goodbye. Ten days, they said. Ten days. Just that long. The servant's response to that is interesting. The Lord has sent me. I need to return now. And curiously in the text, they turn to Rebecca and say, are you willing to go? And to her credit, she says, yes, I will go. And so they leave. There is a boldness in that. There is a sense of adventure in some ways. But how many variables? Where is this going? We don't know this guy from anyone. And yet she goes. In the Gospel reading that we have for today, we hear about a very human response about how one day we're hot, the next day we're cold. We want this from God, and then the next day we want this. We're not consistent as human beings. As Paul writes in the reading for today, I get up in the morning and I want to do what God has called me to do, and yet I go in the exact opposite direction. This sense of life journey that is so profoundly exemplified in Rebecca and the servant is our journey too. As we move to this new country, for some of us perhaps that was a move to this place. But again, I think we need to bring it back to our faith journey as well. We stagger at times. We don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. There are times when there is great joy. And there are seasons that are very, very hard. But nonetheless, we are on our way to that new place. Luther had an interesting way of describing it. He said that faith is not the destination. It is the journey. As we begin in this space, we gather around baptism, stamping us as citizens of that new place and setting out, knowing that when Christ comes again, we will arrive. And between now and then, we journey. There's a strange word in Christian circles that Lutherans are particularly fond of, the word synod, S-Y-N-O-D. It's a strange word. It means to journey together. It's something that Christians do in a caravan, you might say. Not unlike we hear from the Old Testament reading, we don't wander off into the desert on our own, but rather we stick together, going from oasis to oasis, being nurtured, knowing that we are not alone in our walk, not in some sense of God that we don't see, but in the sense of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those around us this morning. I would encourage you as you journey from this place, that you might remember that journey that we are on together, and that you might be emboldened by the stories that we hear of our ancestors, both personally and as a faith. Amen.